This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanen, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 92, and I am interviewing Mara Glatzel about how to advocate for yourself, set boundaries, and realize you are enough exactly as you are, regardless of whether you're living life according to someone else's standard of success, whatever that means. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this podcast at summerinandin.com forward slash 92. That's 92. Before we begin, I have three quick announcements. First, if you haven't already done so, I would greatly appreciate it if you went to iTunes to leave a review for this show. Like this one from AMLWV, Summer offers a totally reasonable, balanced, sane, and yet super effective approach to body and self-acceptance. I feel calmer, less anxiety-ridden, and more empowered each time I listen to it. Thank you so much, AML. WV, whatever that stands for, means you're awesome. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. Leaving a review helps others to find this show and you contribute to ending diet culture by doing so. You can head to iTunes, search for Fearless Rebel Radio, then click ratings and reviews or go to summerinandin.com forward slash review to be able to have a direct link to that. Second quick announcement is the Body Image Remix program, the program that gives you 21 steps to take to start feeling more confident and accepting of your body. I am having a group cycle of this program starting Thursday, June 1st. So that's two days from now. It's amazing what changes can happen when you focus on taking positive actions for your body image over the course of 21 days. I've seen it happen. So if you are up for putting in some time, a little bit of effort into feeling better about yourself, join the group cycle. This program is available anytime, but when I run it as a group, it comes along with a couple of bonuses This time it's coming along with an opportunity to hop on two group coaching calls with me for more individualized support to help you work through your biggest barriers, holding you back from feeling more confident. And you can enter coupon code June Remix. That's one word, June Remix, at checkout to get $20 off. And this is valid until June 1st. So if you're hearing this after June 1st, don't worry about a thing. Just go to bodyimageremix.com. You can still do the program, join in late, do it anytime you want, it's going to be there. But if you're hearing this before June 1st, and and it sounds intriguing, then go to bodyimageremix.com. I'd love to do this with you. So you can get more details there. Lastly, if you're totally new to this podcast, and you haven't had my free 10 day body confidence makeover yet, then go to summerinandin.com forward slash freebies to get that. And if you don't know how to spell my name, just go to the bodyimagecoach.com and you'll find all of this stuff there. Today's guest is Mara Glatzel. Mara Glatzel, MSW, is an intuitive guide and energy healer who guides women in identifying, honoring, and advocating for their needs. She is also the creator of the wildly popular course, The Deep Exhale, about carving out space in your life for rest and restoration. At the core of her work is the desire to live a well-intentioned life, which means more joy, grit, and vibrant imperfection to spare. Hang out with Mara on Instagram, Facebook, or sign up to receive weekly missives filled to the brim with the absolute best of what she's got, unfiltered vulnerability and heart opening encouragement. I have been a fan of Mara's for years. She is one of the only emails that I read on a regular basis. I love her work so much. So I'm really excited to have her here today. And I think you're going to learn a ton from what she's talking about here. So let's get started with that. Hi, Mara. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you here. I know I was saying to you before we started recording that I have been a huge fan of your work for for years now, and uh, it's just taken me a while to officially reach out to have you on the show. Absolutely. And likewise. So I'm excited to I mean, I think you're awesome. I know the women who hang out in your corner of the internet are awesome. So I'm just really happy to get to spend a little bit of time with all of you. Yeah, it'll be great. So let's start with having you tell our listeners 
how you got into this work and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Well, I really started my work now almost 10 years ago with a body positive personal blog and kind of was just sitting in my house. I live in a very remote area (laughs) with everyone that I've known my entire life. And I was really just sitting in my house thinking to myself that I wanted to figure out how to love my body. I wanted to figure out how to have a more positive relationship with myself at the core of my life. Because at that time, my life was run by a lot of self-loathing and a lot of, you know, residual kind of diet culture, a lot of, you know, starting again, I'm going to be good on Monday kind of behavior. And I knew that there were other people in the world who were interested in having conversations about how to really have their own back and really love themselves kind of innately. And because I didn't know any of those people in my real life, I, I took to the internet to try to find some of them and it went spectacularly well. (laughs) Like I loved that. I love the internet and, you know, I kind of just had a blog for a long time and I went to blog conferences and I, I made friends and I talked a lot about body image and a lot about self-acceptance. And I found myself kind of because of my love of this kind of work, I decided to become a therapist um, and went to school for a couple of years to get my master's in social work. And while I was there, I discovered two things. The first was I became spectacularly burnt out, like just within an inch of my life, burnt out, more burnt out than I ever had been before in my life. And my body was suffering. My relationship was suffering. So many things in my life were suffering. And also that I didn't really want to be a social worker <laughs> and that I still love the internet most of all. Okay. Um, so, you know, I kind of had like a breakdown breakthrough moment when I was looking for a social work job when I was finishing up my degree. And I realized that like, I was just so so burnt out from trying to do everything that I thought that I should do and trying to do everything the right way. And that I was in the middle of this life that, you know, even though I'd done so much work and I kind of like had a cool relationship with my body, like my life itself was like my, my lack of self-trust was evident everywhere. And that's where (laughs) the, the juncture that I built my business. So, you know, I'm a coach and I work with women around identifying, honoring and advocating for their needs. Uh, so they don't reach that level of burnout or recovering, repairing from that level of burnout. But ultimately, you know, I work with women around having their own back and building a relationship of self-trust so that they are able to create a life that they actually want instead of the life that they think that they're supposed to have. And I do that from a place of really having had to walk that road myself and figure figure it all out. And knowing how powerful and amazing it is to really do that and to know that it's possible to create a life that may be different than anyone else that you know, but that like at the end of the day, if it's good enough for you, that's you're the ultimate kind of judge in your life. Yeah, that's such a good way of putting it. If it's good enough for you, because I think that so many of us are just trying to be good for other people, good for society standards. And we haven't even really gotten in touch with what's good enough for us. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's so funny because I see it in my own life. It's like really creating my own um, definition of success. Like I want to you know, make enough cash to be able to support myself and my partner and my child and have, you know, a nice life, but that's it. (laughs) Like I don't, I I really, I don't want to work myself to the bone just to have, you know, something that will impress somebody else or something that like we're, you know, supposed to have in this kind of capitalist consumerist society. And, you know, that means that there's a lot more space for things like, lazing around as a family on a rainy morning or, you know, going on vacation or going to the pond or just like doing these kinds of things that I think 
are also just as important. And yeah. in terms of like, we think about like abundance, like I feel abundant when I can take the afternoon off, which has nothing to do with money in the bank. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, you know, it's, it's really hard, especially as like an online entrepreneur, because you're continually inundated with these messages that you should be, you know, making a certain amount of, of income or like doing all these things. And it's so true that when you just get in touch with yourself, you got to really ask yourself, like, what's right for me? And it's so easy to get caught up in the shoulds. I mean, it's kind of like diet culture, like the whole like success culture is it just makes you feel like you're continually not good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you're, you're always working some sort of plan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was just in it with my body that I would lay in bed and I would think about, you know, okay, so I'm going to start, this is going to be the plan. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to lose this many pounds a week. Then by like, you know, this milestone, I'll have like lost this much weight and, you know, just kind of like running the numbers over and over again in my head. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's sort of the same with your, with your business. It's like, okay, this is the plan. This is what I'm working. I'm going to get this many followers that I'm going to do this kind of launch schedule. Then I'm going to earn this many dollars. And you know, that all of that is going to mean something about you and something about your work. Yes. Just like all of that weight loss is going to mean something about you and something about your body, i.e. like you're good enough. <laughs> and you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that your weight has any bearing on your goodness. And I don't think that the cash that you make in your business or the amount of hustle or business that you do Mm -hmm. um, has any real bearing on how good the work is. Yes. Yeah. One of my one of my go to phrases is your work is not your worth. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I know I noticed that 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 transfer when I work with women sometimes is when they've, you know, we've gotten through the body stuff and they they're feeling comfortable with who they are. They don't think about their body anymore. But then, you know, it kind of just almost like transfers to their work. And then their work they start to put their worth in in their work and whether that's working for themselves or working in more of a corporate setting where they're working for somebody else we kind of have to then come back, loop back around to, you know, what really do they want for themselves and what makes them worthy outside of, of these other external measures. So it's, yeah, it's interesting to hear the, the kind of the parallels between the two from your perspective as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really, it is really powerful. And, you know, I, I mean, I find just for myself, the connection between food and money is really strong. Ooh, talk to me about that. Well, I just feel like, you know, the kind of shame feeling mm-hmm. of like other people knowing about you that you just can't put it together. You just can't hack it. My partner and I are kind of in the process of trying to buy a house. And it's really interesting because I notice in myself something that I have not experienced in a really, really long time, which is that kind of like the shame stance, like the head down, like the chin to chest kind of head down stance of feeling like, Oh, there's something wrong. There's just something wrong with me. Like other people made so many better choices, really doing that comparing thing around cash because it's like, you know, trying to buy a house and I have a lot of student loan debt, partially because I decided to go back to go for a master's that then ultimately I didn't choose to use. But, you know, and like, that's just a fact. Mm -hmm. That's just a fact about me, right? Like, just like your weight is just a number about you. It doesn't have any connotations except for what you bring to it. And yet, you know, in both of these areas, there's a lot of media messaging, you know, family messaging, 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 messaging about you know, like what quote unquote good people do or, you know, people who are not like lazy or worthless or all of these kinds of names that we put on, you know, not doing what we're supposed to do. And, and I do find that it's really, really interesting and that people do really kind of, you know, sneaky, weird, secret stuff with money, Mm -hmm. the same way they do weird, sneaky, secret stuff with food. Yes. I remember a moment where my mom was in the shower and I was like, didn't want her to know that I was eating these tortilla chips. 
And even though she was in the shower, she couldn't hear me crunching probably most likely from the shower, but I was like eating them and like letting them soften on my tongue because I was so ashamed that I was eating tortilla chips like in the middle of the day when I don't know what, presumably we had just had some sort of meal or whatever. I was hungry, but I felt so ashamed that I was doing, eating it in this way that nobody would find out or hear me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that there are a lot of similar parallels with the way people spend money. It's like they don't look at their credit card receipts when they come. They, you know, kind of like find ways of hiding what is true from them because it can be looking at all of your debt, like stepping on the scale can be this really shockingly jarring moment. It's uh, the scarcity mindset too, is certainly something that parallels the two. Mm -hmm. Like just this idea of they're not being enough and, mm -hmm. and therefore just always feeling that sense of lack. And with food, it kind of just shows up as like, well, got to get it in all. I have to get it in now because it's going to go away. And yeah, I haven't totally untangled the money thing yet. So I'm not sure, but I'm just <laughs> thinking about it now that I think it, it, it relates back to that whole scarcity mentality that we have with like money, time, food, yeah, it's all it's all linked together. It's interesting. Well, and that it's like not really sexy to work a plan. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like that's what it comes back. All of it to me, money, time and food is like we want it to be like a big like a fancy plan, you know, like it's not sexy to just like chip away at your debt responsibly over time. Yes. It's like, I want to be like, okay, by like, if I put like this much money into my bank account, you know, like by September 1st, I'll have like, that is a weight loss plan. Yes. You know, or, or even with time, like that kind of black or white, all or nothing. I'm either like, quote unquote, off the wagon, or I'm like working the plan, you know, when in actuality, what is compassionate for yourself when you want to change anything about yourself, what it's like your, you know, relationship with your to-do list, your relationship with your debt, your relationship with your body, all of that stuff. It's like, you know, moderation, mm -hmm. <laughs> like meeting yourself where you're at, kind of like incremental, just taking it each day and showing up. And, you know, maybe it's, you're not going to be like 30 days to the thing of your dreams, but, you know, over the course of a year or a couple of years, like, there you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're so resistant to the fluidity of the way that things are naturally supposed to progress, I think. <laughs> we're just like, give me the instant gratification. Give me the big break. Like, <laughs> I don't want to have to just go through the slow, tedious process of change, which is but that's how it is. I mean, it, it's just, it, you know, and it, and it doesn't have to be painful or, or I suppose tedious is maybe not the best word. But patience is certainly a requirement to just live in that gray space between the black and the white. Well, you see that with business too. You know, it's like everyone wants to be an overnight success. No one wants to be like, yeah, I've been like kind of chipping away at this business for the better part of 10 years. Yes. And now I'm like, you know, at a place where I work for myself for five years, it works pretty well. And here we are, you know? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. That, that doesn't, I remember when somebody told me that when I went full time on my business, it was going to take three years before I really hit my stride. I was like, fuck, three years? Yes. I don't have three years. I don't have three months. I know. And then I got to three years and I was like, yeah, yeah, here we are. Cool. Like, I, it's totally true. I just had my five year anniversary leaving the corporate world too. And, uh, and it was big. I, I had a few big epiphanies about the whole thing that seemed pretty aligned with the, what, the stuff that you're talking about, just really starting to appreciate the things that I've done and that it's good enough for me. And that if it's not, you know, these like fairy tale success stories, I'm okay with that because I've created something for myself that works for me and that I love. And, that allows mm -hmm. me to, you know, not be a, a slave to all to working all the time. Like, that's not why I wanted to do this in the first place. So, 
yeah, anyway, that's kind of just a whole side note, but it's interesting to hear you kind of at that five-year place too. And hear it. it's nice to hear the same things. Absolutely. So I want to I wanna shift gears and really talk about advocating for your needs because I know that's a big, that's kind of what you help women do is advocate for their needs. So what do you mean when you say advocating for your needs? Like how, you know, what are some ways that we don't advocate for our needs? commonly? Well, I mean, I think primarily women are avoiding having this conversation with themselves. So, you know, before we even get to like external advocating, mm-hmm. you know, there's this whole realm of being honest with yourself about how much you actually need in order to sustainably do the things that you want to do with your life. And You know, we live in a culture where production is king and needs are often seen as these like grand distractors from our production. And so, you know, when I work with women, we talk a lot about redefining productivity and really understanding how the support that we give ourselves in terms of tending to our needs really just has untold dividends for how much we are able to produce ultimately with that energy, right? Like that, you know, using metaphors like the water pitcher being empty, if we're always pouring out for somebody else and never taking the time to refill it, that when we're just doing, 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 when we're just producing and creating and never taking the time to fill our own well, that we're borrowing against ourselves. And that at a certain point, I mean, the problem is we get positively reinforced for doing that. Mm-hmm. And people are like, yay, you did exactly what I wanted you to do instead of doing what you needed to do. Awesome. Like you're a great friend. You're the best mother. You're such a good worker. We so value you. And so it seems really scary. And it seems like, well, if I pause and I take care of myself, will all of those things stop being true? And so, you know, we kind of naturally resist and avoid doing that because we don't want to you know, lose any of those accolades. We don't want to be seen as less than. We don't want to be seen as needy and weak. Um, We want to be seen as good, strong, productive members of society. But this is why we have so many resentful, adrenally fatigued, exhausted women. Yes. And, you know, I, I just kept working with women over and over and over again who would hire me as a life coach to help them do a thing, like a big, fancy, exciting thing, when actually they just needed to take care of themselves, like really take care of themselves to recoup from years. I mean, sometimes like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of putting their needs on the back burner. Yeah. And, and so in that particular, and I don't know if I just cut you off there. <laughs> Did I just oh, no. cut you off? No, you're no. okay. Um, so in that particular circumstance, I'm so curious to know, like, how did you get to a point where someone has this big dream? Like they come to you and they say, okay, I want to do this or, or that, but you're able to identify that it's really just they need to just take care of themselves. Like, I'm curious to know kind of how others can maybe see that within themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think it's both and, right? Like, like, yes, you have this like huge dream and each and every one of us were put on this planet for a purpose. And, you know, I have such a vested interest in women getting their needs met because I really want to see women create more. I really want to see women you know, like just living their lives the way that they want to, you know, it's like, it's the, the needs, not like we just pigeonhole ourselves in there and say like, all right, like I'm never going to accomplish all of these things that I dream for myself because I just have to like focus on taking care of myself. It's like, we have to take care of ourselves because we are the vessel of our work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether that work, quote unquote work, is like writing the next great American novel or, you know, working with women doing this work or being a parent to a child or being like a fabulous hobby artist, you know, it's like whatever, whatever your work is, 
um, whatever your thing is, your original medicine, um, it doesn't necessarily matter. But I think that we need to subvert this idea that in order to do that and to do that well, we have to put our needs to the side so that we can focus because our needs are a distraction from the work. And instead see like that by embracing my needs and making space for myself to be a human, which is kind of messy, sometimes uncomfortable, you know, without a roadmap. But by doing that, I actually support myself so that I can do this work more and better and in a way that's actually sustainable. Yeah. And so do you feel like when someone starts to advocate for their needs, I imagine, and in my experience, I've seen there's just a lot of fear and discomfort in it because you're, you're sitting there just dominated by, well, I should be doing this or I should be doing this. And, oh, like it, it just can create so much of that inner critic, you know, speaking up and piping up about it. So do you find that that dissipates over time? Like what's the best way to kind of move through that? Yeah, I find that it is extremely uncomfortable, particularly when we are really attached to other people's response to us. Mm -hmm. And so, so much of this really is boundary work, you know, because it's our job to ask for what we need and ask for what we want. And it is not our job to micromanage how other people react to our asking for the things that we need and want. And so, you know, I think that that really lends itself, not that you can't do this work on your own, because of course you can, but that really lends itself to either working with a coach or working in a community. I have a nine-month process that I do this work in called TEND, and part of the reason that I created that was because you know, all of these women that I was working with individually were so like in that really fragile place of being like, is this okay? Am I allowed? I'm not really sure. It feels like I want to, but I'm terrified that I'm going to get backlash. And, you know, of course I was happy to tell them over and over again that, you know, yes, you're allowed and yes, it's okay. And yes, I'm here rooting for you. But how powerful is it to kind of like be in a quote unquote room, you know, like a virtual room of other women who are learning to do the same thing? Yes. And I think that kind of camaraderie is so powerful because you're like, okay, well, like, you know, Jackie did it. Okay, cool. Like I saw how that worked out for her. And I also saw how her, you know, coworker negatively responded to her request but that really wasn't about her and she doesn't need to take that on. You know, it's like these amazing things start to happen when you see other people doing it around you and you really get to kind of be in that personal conversation with one another. Yes. Because it's a boundary issue, but it's one of those things that I think, you know, first of all, if you, you have to ask like, no, it is nobody's job to read our mind. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the cold, hard truth of it. Right. And, you know, I see for myself all of these places where I'm pissed off because, you know, my partner's not holding my time as sacred or, you know, nobody's like stopping to say, <laughs> like, I, I see how much you've worked today. Really, you deserve a rest. You know, like nobody was lining up to give me these things that I was waiting for permission to do <laughs> right. from other people. Right. And, you know, how many of us are not wanting to advocate for ourselves because that feels uncomfortable, but are just seething with resentment and not being seen. And that resentment is really toxic. And, you know, it keeps us, it's, it keeps us from ever having the thing that we want. Right. And so I think that doing that advocating, it's really like building a muscle, you know, because the more that you do it, you know, starting with safe people, right? Starting in safe spaces and then moving your way out kind of like a ripple effect to people who are less comfortable for you to advocate your needs with, just kind of testing it out. And then, you know, before maybe you have the conversation with your mother. Yes. (laughs) So like doing it in a way that's really, again, sustainable and kind, 
But building that muscle, building that bank of evidence, like, hey, I asked for what I needed and that was sort of uncomfortable, but the world didn't end and it was okay. Really starting to like allow other people to tolerate their own discomfort around our asks, you know, because if I see it in reverse, like I always tell my clients this, I have a really good friend who I run retreats with and she's like got amazing boundaries. And, you know, I'll be like, Hey, can you do this thing <laughs> you know, that I really want you to do? Mm-hmm. And she says, if she's like not actually available for it, she'll just say no. And I'm always like, the fuck are you allowed to say like, d- do not say no to me. Do not say no to me. Yeah. Like, I'm so annoyed. <laughs> Like, what? I want you to say yes to me. Of course, I asked you, you know, but like, but I'm fine. Mm -hmm. That's passing, you know, and yet why do I think that when the tables are turned, if somebody else asks me for something and I can't reasonably give it and I say no and they're frustrated or they're disappointed or they have feelings, you know, why don't I allow them to have those feelings? Why do I take them on as it being wrong that I stood my ground or said like, Hey, like I might like, you know, docket is just too full this week. I'm sorry. You know? And, and this is all something that you gain from experience from actually doing it. And, you know, I think is really supported by being in relationship or community with other women who are doing it too. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree on that aspect of it too. I think having that, like, I've got a bunch of different online communities. And you know, some of them are for my paid programs, and I have a free one too. But it's the same thing. Like when you have other people championing you, when you have people just saying, way to go, or you inspired me, or you're amazing for doing that, or you can do this. I think it's just so much more helpful than trying to trying to do some of this stuff on your own. But um, yeah, it's interesting to hear your response to someone who has strong boundaries. I I personally admire them. Anytime someone says no to me like that, I'm like, wow, you're, <laughs> I want to be more like you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, you're, that's so good. <laughs> so it's amazing. <laughs> they're like my role models. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. You're like my mentor for boundaries. <laughs> well, and what I love about it is it is like so delicious mm-hmm. to be in a relationship with somebody who has good boundaries because you know, it relieves me of so much anxiety that I spend kind of wondering if I can take somebody at their word. Do they really mean that? Have they overextended themselves by saying yes? Do I have to worry about them at the same time that they're doing me a favor? It's like all of that rigmarole takes so much energy. Mm -hmm. And if we all kind of say what we're, you know, boundaries are really just saying what we're there for, right? Like this is what I'm available for. Then we can give and receive without any of that energetic clutter. Yes. And that feels freaking amazing to me. Like my friends who have good boundaries, I'm like, this is amazing because I'm going to say, hey, do you want to do this? And you're going to say yes or no. And it's going to be great because I can trust you and vice versa. Like we have such an energetically clean relationship and it really makes you realize how much of that energy and time is spent worrying or, you know, just being like uncomfortable in relationships that with people who don't have clear boundaries. Yes, exactly. And I think having them clear from the get go, instead of saying yes, and then regretting it, and then making up an excuse and saying no later, like I'm fully guilty of that. So (laughs) it's something that (laughs) I actively work on is just listen to my gut response and say no right away instead of saying yes, and then you know, later on saying no, because that's just, that, it's worse. Just say no up front. Listen to your it's gut. It's worse, <laughs> but infinitely better than <laughs> doing the thing you don't want to do and then being like super pissed off. It's true. And resentful <laughs> and slamming things around or like making little cutting comments. You know what I mean? Like, yes. <laughs> like it just seeps out. And oh, so, so yeah, I totally agree. But also done is better than like perfect, you know, whatever, sometimes right before, I think that's a thing that I see with a lot of my clients is like, well, I've already said yes. Yes. You know, like I now like, okay, maybe I'll do it next time. I'm like, no, it's still okay. Yes. It's uncomfortable totally to say like, Hey, I changed my mind or Hey, I bit off more than I could chew. But like you are allowed 
you are allowed to do that. You are allowed to make other people uncomfortable, especially if you're a super pro at making yourself uncomfortable to spare everyone else's feelings. Like that is not good for anyone, mm-hmm. yourself included. What do you say to someone who 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 resists this so much because they're like, I can't, I there's nothing I can let go of. Like I can't step away from my, like I have to get these things done. You know, I feel like that there's, there are, I've encountered these conversations before where it's, it's like, I'm so exhausted. I'm so burned out, burnt out. It's like a fantasy for me to have a moment to myself. There's nothing, there's nothing I can do here. You know, what's your response to people who have that kind of a situation or those kind that type of resistance? The first is to be kind of like, take a step back and say like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to come to your house and pull you out of bed by your toe mm-hmm. and make you do this. Like this is like your self-responsibility is like you have to opt in wanting this or not. Mm-hmm. Totally fine. You can choose either way. However, you know, if it feels like everything is an emergency and you are operating in your life at that kind of like heightened cortisol, like stress hormone level where everything it's like from, you know, kid falling out of tree and breaking arm is on the same level as kid going to school without, you know, permission slip signed, like not the same, but sometimes we get to a place. And I actually think that that is a symptom of, of our burnout already. You know what I mean? That kind of vigilant feeling of, I have to remain on all the time. Otherwise things are going to slip through the cracks. Cause actually I'm so fucking tired that not being vigilant feels like I'm just going to fall into a coma, you know, right. and like wake up in three months covered in Dorito dust watching daytime TV. <laughs> um, so, you know, examining that vigilance as a symptom of burnout And really starting where they're at. You know, I know that for myself, I was really in that place of being like, everything is like capital E emergency. Don't tell me that I'm wrong. Like, I will fight you to the death to prove that I'm right. Because I'm just like holding on so tight to everything. You know, where I started, honestly, was with like the two minutes that I brushed my teeth in the morning and at night. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, at the time I was brushing my teeth, washing my face while talking to my partner, while checking my calendar, while checking my email with the door open, like multitasking within an inch of my life. Wow. (laughs) So honestly, where I started was like, okay, like what, what if, what if for these two minutes that I'm flossing my teeth and brushing my teeth and washing my face, I leave my phone outside the door, shut the door and just like have these two minutes for myself. Yeah. And that was really powerful for me because I definitely at the time would have been super resistant to any kind of like self care, like, you know, more than two minutes worth. Cause I would have said I didn't have any time for it, but you know, by starting with making the things that I'm doing already feel better, I was able to like sneak some ease and some rest into my already jam-packed schedule. So, you know, what if I just like looked in the mirror while I brushed my teeth and thought about things? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what if I, instead of like trying to pack like every inch of my life with like self-help or whatever, like what if while I did my commute to work, instead of listening to like the latest Martha Beck book on tape, I just like listen to some music. Yes. Or, you know, what if I were able to, you know, <laughs> take five minutes to eat my lunch without also checking my email, like really starting with where you're at and building from that place. That's so helpful. That's so good. And I, yeah, I mean, it's, it is just little things like that. I think that there's the, our, our to-do list and our productivity, a lot of it is just existing in our mind. And so to clear out some of that, space like like you said like by just not having anything else going through your head when you're brushing your teeth (laughs) or you know when you're in the shower kind of thinking about I'm shampooing my hair instead of 
okay, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do this. And okay, I should be done that by 2pm. And that should give me enough time to do this. And like, we're (laughs) constantly inside that our, you know, chaotic monkey mind. And so it's a good place to start to just step away from that. Mm -hmm. Nice. Mm -hmm. So you are a big advocate for rest, but not in the way of its literal interpretation. And a while ago, you wrote a beautiful post on your blog, which said, rest has more to do with the way you approach your life than the physical act of sleep. Rest is alive and self-compassion and the naturalness that you permit yourself. You feel well-rested when you reclaim the energy that you spill wanting to be something that you're not or everything to everyone. Can you talk about this perspective and your perspective on rest? Because I just thought that was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I do think that literal rest is important. Yes. <laughs> it is as <laughs> well. Course. Yes. But, you know, a lot of times people come to me and they say, like, I don't have a second more, you know, to sleep at night. Or, you know, I even see in my life now, I work with a lot of mothers having, you know, newly become a mother myself. And it's like, yeah, the truth of the matter is you're not going to get as much rest as you want and need. So this secondary piece becomes really, really important. And it essentially is reclaiming the energy that you expend, like not being who you are, really. Mm. And, you know, I think about it like... It's like we have like a water balloon or something and that's filled with our energy for the day. And, you know, kind of like our primary use of energy is known to us. It's like I'm, you know, doing the things right, expending my energy. But there's there's often these like secondary energy leaks, sort of like a pinprick, like it wouldn't drain the the water balloon completely, but it would just be like a little stream of water like out to the side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that this is what happens when we believe that we should be doing it some other way, or we're kind of like going back and forth in our heads about it. You know, I, I see this a lot in people who are really struggling with their food choices. And it's like the, here's a major energy loss is you want to eat the French fries, but you know, you think you shouldn't eat the French fries and you know, so you do eat the French fries, but then you spend the rest of the day beating yourself up for having eaten the French fries. And it's like, I don't give a shit. Eat the French fries. Don't eat the French fries. No big deal. Make your choice. But the choice that is just depleting you of energy is doing the thing and then torturing yourself for having done the thing all day long. Yes. So, you know, these kinds of places where we're human, we're making the best decisions that we can, but then we are making so much meaning and all of this is done internally. So it's like you, you don't even know necessarily that somebody's doing this, but that kind of going back and forth about, Oh my God. Okay. Uh, I did it. Ugh, oh my God. I'm so bad. I would make better choices, all of this kind of stuff. And we do it not just with food. It's also like, you know, maybe I didn't get my, email finished or, you know, before I crashed on the couch or whatever. It's like things happen. We're human. We can protect ourselves from some of these things happening by managing our expectations for our day. But making the active choice not to lose all of that extra energy in beating ourselves up for the things that have already happened. And a much cleaner energetic choice, which is far more restful, is to really examine the data and say like, all right, look, cool. Ate those french fries. Didn't make me feel good. In fact, made me feel really guilty or bad afterwards. Made my stomach hurt, whatever. You know, fell asleep on the couch before finishing that really important project that really didn't make me feel good. And like, how can I take that data and use it to make different choices next time in a way that is really compassionate? and sustainable, you know, because I think we just are, are losing so much of our energy in that friction of back and forth. Like, Ooh, I really want to, like, I'm a human, right. But I don't want to be who I am. I want to be somebody else. Yes. Yeah. And let, I mean, letting go of that guilt is so hard. It is. And, you know, partially it's, I think, we resist letting go of it because we believe that it is the thing that's keeping us in check. Right. 
And, you know, I don't, I don't believe that we need fear or shame or humiliation or cruelty or ridicule to like keep us on track as human beings. I do believe that on the other side of that, we can be motivated out of enthusiasm or love for ourselves. And, you know, you see this in the body positive community all the time. A lot of pushback is around acceptance and it's like, well, if I accept my body, like I'll be a million pounds. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing. It's like, if I accept my, you know, whatever, (laughs) like lack of productivity or, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to just become nothing. Like I'm just going to dissolve, you know, like I'm this, like, did you ever see the show Alex Mack? No, I didn't. (laughs) Anyway, it's a show where this girl kind of turns herself magically into a puddle and then she can like slide around. And I always think about that because it's like, that feeling of like the, the self-imposed cruelty, like that is the scaffolding that's holding me together. Mm. When really, if I trusted myself, I might know that like, if I built a life based on what I wanted to do versus what I thought I should do on my own rules versus everyone else's rules, then I would hook into my natural motivation. Right. Yeah. That's so, that's such a powerful statement, like hooking into your own motivation just your own desires, really. Yeah. Well, it's like, I see that in my, in my business. It's like, I love my business. And so I want to work on it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I see that now with my body, it's like, if I love, if I really love my body, then I want to do what's best for my body. Mm -hmm. And that includes moving my body often. And, you know, in a way that feels really fun, not to look a certain way, but, but if I think about my body as like an actual like skin sack of organs and bones and blood, it's like the functionality of my vessel uh, really requires movement. Yeah. So good. Do you have five extra minutes? Yeah. Okay. Because I really wanted to ask you, <laughs> I really wanted to ask you because you, you recently, well, not so recently now, but you became a mom this year or just over mm-hmm. a year ago. What has changed for you? I mean, like, you know, you've obviously done so much work around, you know, boundaries and you're an entrepreneur and, you know, you've got, you've done a lot of work around building up your own self-trust and all this stuff, but what's, what's shifted or changed for you since you've become a mom? Kind of everything and nothing. You know, before I became a mom, people always would say to me about my work, like, oh, that's so cute and great. Like self, you know, self-care is so important, but like, wait till you have a kid. Then like all of that gets thrown out the door. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was kind of like just waiting to see what that would be. And what I realized is that now more than ever, my own care matters because I am the primary caregiver for a little child. And I can't ignore myself because it's not just me anymore. And so, you know, I, it's no accident that I started really pivoting towards doing need-based work specifically after Delphina was born, because I just saw like, wow, this is, I mean, we can't do any of that stuff until we master this piece. Yes. Because, you know, like I am surrounded by women who really need support and not just support of a community, but like support of themselves and that belief that there, there is time for their own care and that everything that they care about, all of the excuses that they give for why there's no time to care for themselves will be better for it. And that just felt so clear once Delfina was born because, you know, I really struggled with a lot of postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and, you know, what was happening in my body hormonally, it was partially great and also partially like really dark time for me. And taking care of my needs was so important and it became a lot harder to advocate for myself. You know, it's like my partner and I are both really busy running both of our businesses and sharing care of our child. And, you know, I, I would see how I would hold her needs sacred for her and I would push mine to the side and just how easily that process happened and really kind of going into my own resentment 
and holding myself accountable for like, okay, Hey, look, like you want something here and what are you going to ask for? Like, Mm -hmm. what are you going to hold sacred? What are you going to defend? What are you going to make time for? And knowing that I needed it more than ever. So good. Yeah. That's, I love how you just said holding your resentment sacred. That's a good yeah, well, That's like your best, your best teacher. Yeah. I mean, your jealousy, your anger, your resentments, like all of those are just neon signs pointing you towards yes. uh, situations that, that need uh, to be rectified. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Things that need tending to, which is a good segue for you to talk about where people can find more of you and your tend program. Absolutely. So you can find me at maraglatzel.com. And, you know, I work with, with people in a multitude of ways, but I think the most powerful experience, the most powerful vessel for doing this work, especially around what we've been talking about today, is in a nine-month program that I run. It's starting again in the fall called TEND. And that program focuses on kind of three months of identifying your needs, three months of honoring your needs, and three months of advocating for your needs. There's all sorts of delicious emotional support skills, real tangible skills, and, you know, the benefit, the huge benefit of having a community of women who are doing the work alongside you. So if, if anything from this conversation has felt like a major light bulb for you or like you need or want to do some work uh, in this area, I would love to hang with you. Yeah. Well, your work is so beautiful. It's one of the only emails I read consistently because you write just so beautifully. Uh, I don't, where did you learn to write so well? You're just amazing at it. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Thank you. I've been writing my whole life. I just love, I love to write. Yeah. Wow. Like you just go to a place where I think, how did you even articulate that so well? <laughs> I'm just, I'm in such, I just like bow down. I'm like, I'm not worthy. No, I, no, I just, I think you're, you're just such a good writer. It's, it's, it's incredible. And, and everything that you put out is, is awesome. So I'm going to link to all that in the show notes. And I just want to thank you so much for being here. I feel like we could have gone on and on, but um, I'm going to respect your time and mine. So <laughs> we'll have you back on again in the future. But thank you so much, Mara. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. It was great. I had a great time. Rock on. So much good stuff in that episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 92. That's nine two. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you being here and being a listener of the show. And I will see you next time. Rock on. Rock on.